You are listening to episode 18 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Now, normally I would do the whole spiel, but it is a solo pod today, so it is one unqualified idiot rambling on sports topics he likely knows nothing about. In a hastily thrown together format, as usual. Since it is a solo pod, we're going to have a little bit of a shorter conversation, a little bit of streamlined, but I'll do a couple of shameless plugs here just off the top to get it out of the way. So the podcast is weekly, and it is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see a static image of myself and my usual co-host, Dave Turnbull, while listening, you're able to find that on YouTube by searching for Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. We're also on Instagram, at Unnecessary Podcast, Twitter, at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. So with that out of the way, I am going to talk about a couple of things today. So the first one is kind of as I'm recording, I'm also watching game two of the NBA Finals, the Toronto Raptors taking on the Golden State Warriors. The early parts of the fourth quarter, the Golden State Warriors had assumed the lead following the third quarter, in which they started with 18 unanswered points. Toronto did kind of chip away at it a little bit. Now, I think uh, what could potentially be, and I'm not going to try to predict even at this stage partway through a game, but Clay Thompson was kind of limping off. Uh, during the break here, so we're going to see if that has any impact, if he comes back for the rest of the game, or if that has any impact on the rest of the series. I will say, because I didn't obviously make any predictions uh, between the last podcast and this one, I'm not going to try to take credit for anything, but I will say that it is not terribly surprising. You wouldn't have been very clairvoyant by saying that Golden State was going to make some adjustments from a very surprising game one. So obviously on Friday, the Toronto Raptors, with a lot of hometown support, One thing I will say that was a big deal here in the GTA was the sheer amount of Raptors viewing parties. A lot of people know about Jurassic Park over near near Toronto, but you also ended up having viewing parties in Mississauga, Burlington, Hamilton, and a bunch of other locations where they got permission to be able to do similar viewing parties. The one near me over near Mississauga actually had over 20,000 people in it. So obviously a lot of folks have kind of jumped on the bandwagon here with the Raptors in the NBA Finals. And it was... um, It was a really good thing for, I think, the franchise, having the first NBA Finals game in Canada ever be a victory for them, especially against, uh, you know, a kind of a dynastic team in Golden State. Now, going forward, the reality is that the Raptors, for the most of this game, have actually played very scrappy, but I will say that they're going to have to find a way to maintain that kind of intensity throughout it. They're not going to win shootouts with Golden State. They really are going to have to keep aggressively going after them defensively at all times. Now they're showing a replay of the Clay Thompson thing where he kind of landed awkwardly, and uh, it is interesting. He is kind of limping off, and uh, it will be interesting to see if that affects Golden State at all. But otherwise, the NBA Finals is, aside from a surprising Game 1 outcome, kind of playing as expected. Golden State is explosive in in bursts, and in Game 1, the Raptors were able to take advantage of the fact that Golden State wasn't playing all the way up to its full capabilities. Obviously, they don't have Kevin Durant right now, and it's questionable to see when he's going to come back into the series, potentially, if he does. And obviously that's going to be a big deal for them. But as far as the Raptors are concerned, the one thing they can, I guess, take as a positive from game one was that I don't think they played their best game either. They're going to have to see more from Kawhi Leonard, obviously, who played well, but didn't play as well as he had in the Eastern Conference Finals. Pascal Siakam had basically a career kind of playoff performance, especially in, in his first NBA Finals game. But thats I don't know if that's sustainable. That's not something necessarily that I would expect from them. So it's going to be the secondary players and the, rest of the, and the rest of the lineup that is going to make or break the team because they're going to have to spread the ball around. They're going to have to get a lot of points from a lot of contributors because if they're relying on one person to carry them, then you know Kawhi Leonard by himself is not going to be able to carry Toronto against a team of Golden State's caliber. Shocking analysis, I know, but 
at the same time, the obvious sometimes is almost forgotten in the in the sheer amount of narratives that are kind of playing into it. What's going to happen with Golden State? How is this going to affect uh, Kevin Durant in the offseason? How is this going to potentially affect this team's composition going forward? And for the Raptors, you know, is Kawhi Leonard staying? Like, these are all like the little subplots that are played outside of the basketball itself. And also, how extensive is Kevin Durant's injury? Does he play another game in the NBA Finals? What does that say about his legacy if Golden State is able to win the NBA Finals? So I'm just kind of regurgitating a lot of the stories that, coming into it, we were thinking about, and through one full game and a good chunk of another game, we're still no closer to answering a lot of those questions. And it kind of goes game by game. It fluctuates a lot. But I will say that Toronto has accounted itself well overall in the two games in Toronto, and it'll be really a matter of how they finish in this game too. As far as the NBA Finals is concerned, that's really all I have to add on that right now. I will say one other thing, though, from a local perspective, it was kind of fun watching um, watching a little bit of news coverage about the uh, NBA Finals ratings being down in the U.S., but at the same time doing gangbuster in the Canadian market, which obviously doesn't count into U.S. ratings. They average uh, 3.3 million viewers in Canada, which is, which is crazy. If you really think about a population of 37 million, that's basically having almost 10% of the population watching, and I think they peaked out at about 7 million, which is uh, substantial, especially for Canadian television numbers. With that out of the way, then I'm going to move on to the other championship in the Stanley Cup Final. So right now, the Boston Bruins are up two games to one against the St. Louis Blues after winning Game 3 convincingly 7-2. Now, kind of playing off of what I, what I talked about before when I did talk about the Cup Final briefly, obviously, I do think that Boston's experience advantage is going to be huge for them. I think it is going to give them the edge against the St. Louis team. I don't expect St. Louis to roll over. I think they will probably win another game, and that will force it to at least six. But at the same time, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold in in the long run. If it goes to seven, then becomes then it really does become a coin toss. But up until that point, if it's if it's in six or less, I really like Boston winning. Outside of that, though, my interest in the series really isn't that high. I've caught pieces of every single game. I caught the latter half and the overtime in game two, and a little bit in game three. But I think um, I kind of want to play off of the Stanley Cup final as kind of an excuse to talk about something else related to it. And that's where you have maybe a sport that you're watching where you normally like to watch the championship series or championship final, and you find a matchup that just doesn't compel you. And that's really what I have with this one here. The story, one thing that I really like it, when it comes to watching you know, a championship of a sport, there's really three main things that will make me want to watch. Either I'm watching my favorite team or a team that I like, that's going to compel me to watch. I'm watching a team that I really despise, that I want to see lose, you know, rooting against them. So that gives me kind of a rooting interest. That would be another situation where I'd watch. Or the third one is maybe I don't have any strong feelings about one team one way or the other, but there is some kind of a compelling story to it. Maybe a franchise is chasing its first championship. St. Louis does technically have that. Or maybe another team, you know, has been on a great run and this is an opportunity for them to be knocked off in a potential upset. That could be a compelling storyline. Or maybe a player is going after their first championship. There's a lot of different angles you can take on it that could make it interesting potentially for you. Problem with this one is it does have elements of that, but I really am finding the more I thought about this one is that this year's Stanley Cup final really doesn't resonate with me. Despite the fact that we do have a couple of those storylines in play, it's just not interesting enough. I'm, go- I'm still going to watch a little bit here and there as far as we go through the rest of the series, but it's going to be one of those ones where I'm going to end up probably not watching more of the series than I'm going to end up watching it. And that's really disappointing because generally I do like to watch most, if not all, of the Stanley Cup final. 
I am watching a fair bit of this NBA Finals, mainly because the home team is in it. So at least that's interesting to me. And obviously, I will do want to see if Golden State is able to pull off the three-peat, which is you know, not exactly a common occurrence, even in the NBA where you do, you have had a lot of those dynastic teams. In recent years, you don't necessarily, a three-peat is very difficult to come by and it's, and it requires a lot going right for you and being able to keep a team together for an extended period of time and basically keep going to five straight finals. Golden State has done that. So as far as the Stanley Cup final is concerned, you know, it's going to continue going forward. But at the same time, I'd be curious if anyone is out there and I'd love to get your feedback on it. If you are in Canada or if you're in the U.S. and you do enjoy watching the NHL, how interested are you in this cup final? Does it intrigue you at all? Do any of those storylines hit with you? Or are you maybe a St. Louis fan or a Boston fan? I don't know where your interest level lies, but I think that's that's kind of, it's a bit of a contrast with where we are in, as far as those two different championship finals are concerned. So another completely unrelated topic that I want to talk about for a couple of minutes here is uh, both football-related stories. So one of them is that the CFL has uh, basically purchased the Montreal Alouettes, which was something expected given that the ownership was kind of in flux, and the CFL has gone to this well before as far as taking over a team that has some kind of an issue. What I will be interested to see, as always, whenever the CFL puts itself into this situation is... Can they find an owner? Can they find someone suitable who can take over a team? The Montreal Alouettes, for the, for any of you who keep at all track with the CFL, have, are a team that in their brief history had a lot of success early on, getting to a lot of great cups and winning several of them, but uh, losing a few more. But in recent times, they've really fallen on hard times since uh, not having a stable quarterback situation. They uh, they took a stab at Johnny Menzel. That wasn't a, that wasn't a winner, and they haven't really found a successor for Anthony Calvillo, who has who who was their most successful quarterback, and led them to a lot of their most prosperous years with those freaking Grey Cup appearances. Staying with football on the same lines, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the XFL and kind of in an indirect way because uh, one of the news stories that are kind of interesting to me falls a little bit outside of the sports world, but I'm going to explain why. It's still kind of related. Recently, a rival promotion to the WWE put in their pay-per-view show called Double or Nothing. Uh, So it's called AEW, which stands for All Elite Wrestling. So if you're not a wrestling fan, stick with me for a second. I will bring it back into the sports realm. I did watch the show, and it was actually quite well done. And they did; they are creating kind of a viable alternative. I don't know if I'm willing to call them full-fledged competition yet, but in the sense of they're in the same genre as WWE, they're competition. But at the same time, it does stand to reason that they really are going to have to be competitive since they do have a weekly show that is going to be debuting in the fall. They're not going to be going on at the same time as WWE, but simply being there on a weekly episodic wrestling show is going to create, you know, a higher profile for the organization that already is getting a lot of uh, grassroots support. So how does this relate at all with anything related to the world of sports? Well, I mentioned a little um, a few minutes ago that I wanted to talk a little bit about the CFL. So let's sorry, the XFL. Let's bring it back to the football part of it. So WWE itself has nothing to do with the XFL technically, but they're both owned by Vince McMahon. Now, the reason why this is important is that I've mentioned in the past on the podcast that the WWE, in effect, is kind of Vince McMahon's wallet. You know, as far as businesses that he's tried to create and to run and different uh, areas outside of wrestling that he's tried to do, he hasn't really been that successful in them. In reality, WWE has been by far his most successful creation, his most lucrative, and the one where they've got the most revenue streams. Being that it is a publicly traded company, there is still an element of it where there are shareholders to answer to, but since the family does have a strong controlling share of it, they can still make decisions for the organization. 
And where Vince McMahon has an advantage with that is that he has enough stock that he can where he needs to in the case of the XFL. When he wanted to found it, he sold some WWE stock, was able to generate $100 million, and that right there was the starting seed money for the XFL project, specifically creating Alpha Entertainment, which is the parent company of the new iteration of the XFL. And similarly, not that long ago, he sold some more WWE stock to continue to build his war chest. And we know from the AAF experiment that having consistent, strong financial backing is key especially since the league isn't going to start until next February. So between then and now, everything they're doing is basically money going out, money going out, promotion, you know, they've built the infrastructure for a lot of things, but we have yet to see the product on the field. And in the meantime, they've been preparing everything. Right now, the big money hasn't started to come in. They haven't sold, you know, really that much in the way of selling tickets. Their television, you know, they've got some great television partners, but the money isn't necessarily going to come right away from that. The company's going to need to have solid financial backing, and at the moment it does. And one of the points that I made earlier on the podcast was that the biggest advantage that WWE had, or sorry, the XFL, see uh, a little bit of Freudian slip there, the biggest advantage the XFL had was that since it is all under Vince McMahon and Alpha Entertainment, they don't have to worry about the same issue that the AAF had to worry about with Tom Dundon, where he can just pull the plug on it. Well, since it was Vince's idea in the first place, it's doubtful that he would want to pull the plug. But why this competition is suddenly so important is that it puts a lot of pressure on the WWE product. Well, if anything starts to hurt the WWE product, it starts to hurt the bottom line. And the product itself has been suffering from, I wouldn't say neglect, but really I would say from not, not being given the full attention that it probably needs. And Vince's attention has been diverted a lot. One of, the recent, uh, one of the recent revelations, I'll call it, but it, it isn't really. One of the recent revelations is that on that Double or Nothing show, one of WWE's former talents, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, joined the rival organization and debuted in Double or Nothing as John Moxley. The reason why that's relevant is that he followed it up then with a podcast on the uh, Chris Jericho podcast, where he basically outlined issues with the creative side of WWE. Nothing he said should really come as a shock to anyone who is familiar with the the business or the genre. But at the same time, it's like little pieces of negative publicity building on each other. And then, of course, the WWE also has the controversial move on continuing to do shows in Saudi Arabia, a place that really isn't known for uh, for its human rights record. But at the same time, they're receiving you know tens of millions of dollars from the Saudi government to put on shows, and. These little things in isolation don't mean anything. And the WWE has proven itself, and Vince McMahon himself in particular, has proven to be impervious over, over the years of a lot of what type of bad publicity that traditionally would hurt a business. But along with increased competition that can start potentially siphoning off some eyeballs, some viewers, well, the television partners that WWE is working with now are the same television partners that the XFL is going to be working with kind of as, as a side result of that partnership. How do you think they're going to feel if they feel like attention isn't being fully given to the product that they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars for? The WWE television rights between the two main networks um, in terms of USA Network and Fox is going to be starting to, to do shows in October, I believe, in the fall. Hundreds of millions of dollars means that they're going to expect the ratings to be maintained at a certain level. But as the product has suffered through a little bit of neglect, the reality is Competition, even if it's not direct competition on the same weeknight, is not something that I'm sure the television partners are looking forward to, especially if they feel like the product is already suffering before the competition has even started. 
plus all these little tiny PR problems as different things come to light that WWE has always been doing. Vince McMahon has always operated on the shady side of business. And some of that can bleed into other business ventures like the XFL. I'm not saying it will for sure, but I'm, I'm bringing this up because my biggest takeaway and what I mentioned previously is that what happens with WWE does have an impact on the XFL. So it is relevant. It is something you kind of want to keep an eye on with, you know, looking a little bit of sideways glance, just kind of seeing what's happening there peripherally and just understanding that what happens there isn't in isolation. What happens with WWE will have an impact on what happens with the XFL if the stock price ever starts to suffer, if Vince McMahon suddenly isn't able to withdraw the funds that he's going to need. Because regardless of what he ends up doing, regardless of how successful he is next February, the money isn't going to come fast enough early on to be able to offset all the money that got sunk in already up until this point. So it is going to be important for him to have access to that fun- to those funds And the stronger the company, his other company is, the better off he'll be when he tries to siphon off funds to keep this other venture going. Because up until the moment they really start becoming profitable, which could take a couple of seasons, it is more or less a vanity project and the money's got to come from somewhere. So I think that'll do it for a little bit of a short episode. We'll be back with a more normal length episode next week. Dave should be back and we'll be able to talk a little bit more about some of these, uh, some of these finals that have been going on. I'm, he may have something to say about the Stanley Cup final and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about the NBA finals. As far as what I'm looking forward to this week, right now it's just focusing in on these games. I am going to watch a little bit of the Jays. I am happy that uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been playing a little bit better lately, but he's still going to be inconsistent. None of that is going to be surprising, but I think we'll try to see if there's anything interesting happening in the world of baseball, because I think I'd like to talk a little bit about that a little more now that we're heading into the summer months. You know, We're into June now, so I think, uh, I think it warrants a little bit of a discussion before we head into the All-Star break. With all that said, we appreciate any feedback you might have. You know, feel free to share with anybody you think might be interested in listening to the podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Thanks for listening.